Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to turn with me in your Bible. This is not really the, the message, but this will serve as an introduction. Turn to me with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to talk about just real, real quickly as, as sort of an introduction to what I really want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about three important things here that the Apostle Paul identified, and we know in the last half of, of this chapter that there's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Now, I'm sure Paul prayed a lot more than is recorded in the Bible. But the things that are recorded in the, in the Word of God are Scripture. They're given by inspiration of God and they're profitable. They're profitable for the child of God, instruction, uh, 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 correction, whatever we need. Also, and, and also Paul, he, he said that Timothy, but he also said this. He said, from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. You know, Paul, Paul probably prayed for his Aunt Mary, but those, those weren't in, inspired in the level of Scripture or they'd, they'd have been in the Bible. But these things were recorded because they're given by the inspiration of God, and they're not just for the church of Ephesus. They're for the church in High Springs. They're for the church right here today. And so we need to be paying attention. And anything that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, we have a right to pray for ourselves because, again, it was given by inspiration of God and recorded for our benefit, for our instruction. Amen? So he said uh, in verse 15, he said, uh, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You ought to be reading along with me. He said, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Well, we ought to pray. I pray these prayers quite often for myself. I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation working in my life. I need the eyes of my understanding. That's talking about your spiritual eyes, your spiritual understanding. I need to be enlightened. You need to be enlightened. And none of us have all the enlightenment we need right now. We need more. We need more. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And it comes through praying these kinds of prayers and then feeding on the word of God. Now, he, he identified three things in particular that we need revelation on and that we need our understanding enlightened on. Number one, that we may know what is the hope of his calling. And this calling can, can refer to your 
personal calling in life, uh, but, it, but it predominantly, or first of all, it applies to the calling upon us as believers, the calling that's upon the church. God has established the church, raised up the body of Christ, and has established us in this earth for a reason, multiple reasons, no doubt. But you know, it's been real easy for the gospel to go out and as soon as people get saved and, and filled with the Spirit, just be called up to heaven. I mean, the job's done. They got saved and what did you get saved for? Did you get saved to live for God and live with Him? Well, just take us on to heaven. No, He left us here for a purpose. And so what, what is the calling? And what is the hope of that calling? When you think of the word hope, I always think of future tense. Because that, Paul said, that which we see, we don't hope for. Hope is future. What is the future of our calling? What is it that God's called us to as a church? We need revelation on that. So what is the hope of his calling? That's one. Number two, what are the, well, first of all, he, there is a calling. There is a calling or we, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be praying for the Ephesians to have revelation on the hope of that calling. So there's a calling. Amen. And then he says, number two, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The riches of the glory. Well, the, the, there must be an inheritance. There must be an inheritance that belongs to the saints. And it must be glorious. And it must be rich in glory. Rich glory. A, Deep, deep glory, far-reaching, amazing. You get the sense that, that the apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, was, was expressing as far as he could in his, in, in, in his native tongue to express how glory, the riches, that we might have understanding of the riches of the glory of his inheritance. We need that. We need to understand, church, we need it today more than ever. We need it today more than ever. We're, 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 we're at the end of the end times. What we're going to do, we have to do. And we can't do it without understanding of these things. And then number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The exceeding greatness. Again, you get the sense that that that. He's almost struggling to, to, to find a way to express the, the immensity, the exceeding greatness of your power. Notice, toward us who believe. He's not, he's not saying that we need a revelation of God's power in the universe and the majesty of, of all that he does, you know, in the universe or even in this world. But the, the exceeding greatness of his power, <coughs> excuse me, that is toward us. <coughs> I mean, take the cap off the other bottle. That one's empty. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Thank you. It's good. You ought to have a drink. <laughs> This, 
This exceedingly great power is toward us who believe. This, this isn't a power that's toward the ungodly or the sinner. It's the power that's directed toward us who believe. What would happen, do you suppose, if we had full understanding of the exceeding greatness of that power? Would it change our lives? Would it make a difference? Well, yeah. Yes, it would. He said, you need to have the, uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You need to have your, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you would know what is this third one, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards you who believe. Then it says, it tells us, it gives us a, a, an indication of how great it is. It's according to the working of his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead. Uh, I've looked at other translations. This is one of the verses that I, you know, that I read on a regular basis. And, and, and other translations say, uh, it's the same as. It's the same as the working of his mighty power. The power that's directed towards us, toward us is the same as the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same, same degree. Oh, glory to God. When he raised him from the dead and seated him, the same power that seated him is directed toward us. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, this is how great this power is, is so great that it seated Christ at the Father's right hand far above. This power exalted Christ far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Other translations say instead of principality and power, it says all uh, authority, all uh, might, all power and dominion, all every level of authority and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also that, that which is to God. I mean, this scripture just takes us right on out there. We need revelation of these things. So uh, with that in mind, I'll start my message. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see why I read this. Verse number 16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The hidden truth, the secret. This word mystery is, is always in the New Testament. It refers to things that have been hidden from past generations, but have been opened to us. But we have to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God in order to, to understand these things. We have to have our, the eyes of our understanding enlightened. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. Notice, this was God. 
People who say that, that Jesus Christ was just the son of God in the way that, you know, you're your daddy's son, that, that he wasn't, he's not God. Well, it just says God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Well, who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ, very God. But the, the, the thing, the, the phrase that I want you to put, put your attention on this morning is this, this great mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. Now, with that thought, I, I want to read another, go to John, the first chapter, and let's look at how John describes this. John chapter 1. You doing all right? John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, that the beginning of what? The beginning of everything. In the beginning was the Word. In, a, in other words, in the beginning, the Word was already there. <laughs> I don't know how that could be. But the Word predates the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and what? The Word was God. He, the Word, who was God, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, the Word. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning, and all things that were made were made through Him, and, and without Him, nothing that's ever been made has ever been made except by Him. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I need you to be listening with your, with your heart, not just with your ears. The word, which was God, which was in the beginning and created all things, and is God became flesh became flesh how on earth could that be in uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1 Hebrews 1 in theological circles there is something known as the Hypostatic union. Everybody say that. Hypostatic union. You probably never thought you'd say that. The hypostatic union is, is, a, is the theological term describing the relationship between Jesus' divine nature, his human nature, and his essential being. It means that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. 
Jesus has all the characteristics that are true of a person and all of the characteristics that are true of a divine being. I mean, that means a human person and all the characteristics that are true of a divine being. Both natures fully exist in one person. In this man, Christ Jesus, fully exists humanity. In every sense of the word, Jesus was and is a human being, a man. At the same time, in, in, that, in that man, Christ Jesus, exists all of the characteristics, all of the identity, all the personhood of God. No wonder the Apostle Paul says great is the mystery of godliness. That God, God was manifested in the flesh. It's inexplicable. You can't explain it. Nobody can explain it. It is completely unexplainable. Yet we know it's true. The, the reason we know it's true is because the Bible says it's true. We've come to believe it without fully understanding it. And even though we don't fully understand it, we get the benefit of believing it. It works in our lives. We have the revelation of it and we, the understanding of it to the degree that we do and it's working in our lives. No one in this house disputes that God, the creator of everything, who existed before everything, gives life to everything, somehow managed to invade humanity and was born to a virgin, grew in, as a baby inside her womb, was birthed, grew up as a child and as a young boy and as a young man and he was in every way a human being and yet he was God. How, how can, can that be? We don't know how it can be, but we know it's true. That we know in our heart, we know it's true. And because we know it's true, we have the benefit. We, we have learned some things about the humanity and the deity of Christ because, we've, because we believe it. Now, a lot of people in a lot of places believe it as a doctrine. They believe that Jesus was God made flesh. They, they intellectually believe that. But they don't delve any lower to ex, into the word and in Christian experience to, to, uh, to see how that applies. How does that work? They don't, they don't ever examine that. We have, to a degree, dug in a little bit. And we have, in a, in a, in to some degree, begun to explore how that works. Like over in Philippians, turn over to Philippians. And let's look at chapter two. Verse five says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, 
did not consider it robbery. That's a terrible translation. Uh, the, what it literally says, did not consider it something to be held on to. Well, when you rob somebody, you grab it and run, right? He said, uh, who being Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it something to be held on to, that is his, his equality with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking uh, the form of a bondservant and, and coming in the likeness of men. When it says he... he uh, made himself no rep, of no reputation. That's also a, a very poor translation in our modern uh, life. What it literally says in the Greek that is that he emptied himself. Now, he didn't empty himself of his divinity because he couldn't. But he laid aside, even though he was God, even though he was the creator, when when. When in the in the wisdom and majesty of God and the and in in the, the the awesomeness of of this of this mystery, when God managed to do this, Christ, when he came, he laid aside his divine prerogatives. He laid aside his power and glory. He didn't cease to be God, but he laid aside the, his rights and privileges as God so that he could operate within the limitations of ordinary man. Because he was a man. But see, as man, as a man, if he had done anything as a man in his humanity, if he had done anything using his divine prerogatives, something that only belongs to God, that can't belong to a man, then we would have been shortchanged. But he did, he lowered himself, limited his own self, even though he had the divine attributes, even though he had the mighty power and glory of God, he limited himself to function as a man and the only, the only with the spiritual help though of the Holy Spirit. He was a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went down into the River Jordan. He was baptized in water. When he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to operate as a man like no man has ever operated before, but every man and any man can. Amen. Because we have received the Holy Spirit. That's, my, my, that's not my message today. But the message is that that. He operated as a man with the limitations of man while at the same time he was God. He just didn't use his divinity. So we have, we've explored that and it answers a whole lot of questions. I mean, it, 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 it takes the, the, the confusion out of a lot of things that people struggle with when we realize that Jesus what he did, he did as a man, as an example to us who have been born again, we can live like he did. Most of the church says anything that Jesus said, well, that was Jesus. You know, he's in a category all by his own. Well, in, in terms of his personhood, he's in a category all of his own. But in the ter terms of, of, of how he lived, he's not in a category all his own. He came to show humanity 
what was possible. And in great, and before that, he came to redeem humanity from its fallen state, raise up a new life, a new church, a new type of man to live in that divine life that is then the life of the Spirit. Well, praise the Lord. So we've delved into that, but it's still a mystery. <laughs> How great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. That's, that's, a, that's it's something that you can't fully explain. You just can't explain it. Go with me to, I'm almost to my message. That, that was a, an introduction. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to need some help here from some other translations <laughs> besides the one we're reading. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. You, you know, you, you did, you, you, you have prayed for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? <laughs> you have prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Amen. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, well, verse 25, he's talking about, you know, how people, that the Gentiles, they seek after wisdom and, and the Jews, you know, anyway, the Greeks seek wisdom. He says, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And, you know, in this world, among, among the unsaved, in, in worldly culture, wisdom is everything. Human, natural wisdom is everything. Fallen man from the beginning has been enslaved to this sense of self-determination that I am my own maker and I can figure things and I don't need God. That's the curse that operates among men. And people who are unsaved, who are resistant to the gospel, you know, you know why they're resistant to it? Because they just don't like it. They'd have to humble themselves. They think they're smarter than the, than the gospel message. To them, it, it, it's, it's ignorant. They choose to look down upon it. Because it, it, they, would have to, they would have to acknowledge that they don't have the answer and that they can't help themselves. And so we, we use the term people accepting Christ. And, and, and it's a true expression. It's valid. The old song, I Surrender All, still applies. Because the, because the man, the unsaved man in his pride and arrogance has to come to a place of surrendering his will to God's will. He has to accept. He has to accept what God has done. On the other hand, I always have a little problem with that phrase, accept Christ, as if it was a terrible pill to swallow. Well, I have to accept Christ, like I have to accept taxes. <laughs> I, don't like that, I don't like that side of it because it's, it's, it's the greatest thing you could ever t have in life. We want all of it we can get. But you see, for the, for the unsaved, they don't, they don't, until they're enlightened and they're willing to bow their knee 
They're going to do without. Let's go back to our text here. Verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that is, you know, in, in, in natural terms, your natural calling in life, your stature and status in life, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That word noble means highborn. Highborn. And you know that's true when you look at when you look at the church. There are among us people that are highborn. There are among us the mighty and the powerful in this world. There are among us uh, you know, the wise and the super educated and so forth. There, there are plenty of those, but predominantly it's not true. It's common people. He said, you see your calling, brother, not many. He didn't say none, but not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Oh, thank God to be called. But God has chosen. God has chosen. That ought to excite you. God has chosen. You were chosen. God picked you out and he knew everything about you. He knew your lack of wisdom, your lack of might, your lack of well, uh, high-breadness or what, you know, being high-born. He knew all of that. He chose you. Oh, glory. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Look at yourself. Well, don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> but look at yourself and thank God that he chose the foolish things. <laughs> not very, not a lot to boast in here today, is it? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a powerful person. I don't, I don't own, you know, corporations and, and stocks and, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not powerful. I'm, I'm not a person that, People even know when I go into the store, they don't turn their head and go, ooh, that tycoon. Is that the is that right word? Tycoon, not tycoon, tycoon. As soon as they came out, it didn't sound right. You ever done that? So what? Bonbon, whatever, I don't know. Nobody turns their head and says, look at there, a tyke tycoon of industry just walked through the doors of Walmart. God has, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to, to, to put to shame the things that are mighty. You need, to be getting, you need to be coming encouraged that God's chosen you. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why did he do this? So that no flesh could glory in his presence. That, ty 
tycoon, con, whatever he is, a tycoon, tycoon. <laughs> huh? Yeah, right. Tycoon. Thank you. Spirit of wisdom and revelation is working in. <laughs> the tycoon has to humble himself because he trusts in his might, his power. The, the, the icons of academia have to bow their knees. They have to humble themselves because they know in their heart, regardless of what they say and what they write, they cannot explain the beginning. <laughs> there is no explanation in the natural world. No explanation. They can say, well, this came before that and this resulted from that and it all came from Big Bang. Yeah, well, what caused it to bang? They have no answer and they know it. They know it. But they're so full of themselves. No man is gonna glory in the presence of God. No man is gonna glory in the presence of God and be accepted by him. That no flesh should glory in his presence. <sighs> wow. It's 12 o'clock. And I just now got <laughs> to my first point. Haven't even gotten it out yet. But of him, him is God. See in the previous verse, no, no flesh should glory in his presence. All, all, all through this, God has chosen. God has chosen. God has chosen. No, no flesh should glory in God's presence, but of God, of him. You are in Christ Jesus. Now that expression you will find in Paul's epistles. It's, it's, it's a, with Paul, with the apostle Paul, it was a technical term, in Christ. It's, he, he wrote many times in Christ, Sometimes he would write in him, meaning Christ. Sometimes he would write uh, through him, of him, through Christ, by Christ. All of those expressions are expressions that, that tell us that we are one with Christ. We're in Christ. We're one with Christ. That's inexplicable. You and I have been made one with Christ in the same way that Christ was made one with us. If you can explain one, you can explain the other. If you can't explain one, you can't explain the other because they are on the same level. By God, you are, you have been brought into union with Christ. In the same way that Christ, when he came, entered into union with humanity. So humanity, through Christ, has been united with God. 
see, the mystery of the, of the uh, uh, hypostatic union is the mystery is how in the world can a divine being become flesh and become a man and be 100% man and still be 100% God? How can that be? How can the two exist? The same thing is, is, is on the table when you consider the fact that you have become one with Christ and yet you still are a man, you still are a woman, you still are a, a human. It's a mystery. But it is such a powerful reality. The, the reality of, of God's union with man in redemption, we all know that it's, that it's a, a bedrock truth. But little have we understood how equally a bedrock truth it is that we have been united with Christ. We are one with him. Jesus, he had to, he had to lay aside his divine attributes and not walk in them. In order for, for, for him to be effective, he had, to, he had to limit his divine power. Now, he, he moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's divine. But you know what I'm saying? In his personhood, that that belonged to him, to him as the second person of the Trinity. In order to be effective in this flesh that he had been joined to, in order to be effective, he had to lay aside. He had to put his divinity on hold in order for us to be effective in Christ, we have to learn more and more about how to put our humanity in check. When we don't put our humanity and the frailness of our flesh or the, or the if you think the magnificence of our flesh, whatever you might think of, if when we don't limit that, it hinders our ability to operate as Christ in the earth. Jesus operated as God in the earth by taking on flesh. God invaded humanity, just invaded the human realm when Christ became flesh. Well, the intention is for the church to invade God's realm. To invade, to, to, and he made us one with Christ so that we would have the divine attributes of God. The intention is for us to have the divine attributes of God while we're still in the flesh. But in order to do it, just like Jesus had to hold his divine attributes in check. We have to hold our natural human uh, attributes and instincts in check or else we won't walk in the walk that God has for us. The Christ walk. In order to walk the Christ walk, we have to stay, say no to our flesh on every turn, on every occasion, all the time. We're always having to hold our, our flesh in check and to, to the degree that we don't do it, that's the degree that we stay out 
of the Christ realm. That's the degree that we're not able to enter the Christ realm. That doesn't mean that we walk around with our head in the cloud. You know, operating in the spooky natural. Ooh, you know. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He walked, talked, ate with the disciples, lived with them, went to weddings, went to funerals. <laughs> he upset every wedding and every funeral ever went to, but he went. <laughs> but he lived a natural life. But it was, a, it, was, it was the life of a man controlled by the Spirit. That's our goal, is the life of a, of a man controlled by the Spirit of Christ. Hallelujah. In order to do that, we have to, we have to hold our natural man in check. Amen. So it's, it's inexplicable that God could become a man. I'll just read my notes here that I've strayed from. That is, become one with humanity and yet remain 100% God. Deity united with humanity. It is equally inexplicable and yet equally true. If one's true, the other's true. Doesn't matter how difficult it is to understand, it's true. It is equally inexplicable and equally true that man can become one with God and yet remain 100% human. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, we'll, we'll come back. I'm going to run. I'm just, I don't want to go on and on and on because if I go to the next point, it's going to be a while. But, you know, we, we need to understand that we are in Christ Jesus. We are in you. That's just a phrase, but when that's when I, I've gotten years ago, I got in the habit every, every time. Well, I mean, there might be occasional times when I don't. But virtually every time I read in Christ or in him, I always consciously read in union with Christ because that's what that's talking about. I'm in, union, in Christ. I'm in union with Christ. I'm one with Christ. I don't understand it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fully understand it. Probably just about this much, you know. But I know it's true. And if you, don't, if you don't know it's true, if you don't acknowledge it, you'll never explore it. You'll never walk, you'll never walk any further out in that, in that land of Christness, Christ-likeness. You'll never walk, you'll, never, you'll just stay in the natural, in, in a babyhood stage. God doesn't want us. This generation that we're living in, this generation needs to see Christ. Not just hanging on a cross in a cathedral somewhere. This, not just preached about. This world needs to see the church exemplifying Christ in our walk. Having the power of Christ in our walk. And we're not going to be able to do that if we don't go beyond the natural and start looking at the reality of who we are in Christ. We are not ordinary people. We're not. Well, that doesn't make, I'm not saying that we're better. I'm not, that, that's a whole different concept. We are not 
mere human beings. We are humans. Don't misunderstand me. Everybody knows that. But we're not merely human. We're God men. We're God women. Jesus was the God man. Well, we as men, we are men and women of God. We're God men too. You have to be real careful how you say what I'm about to say because people get, they freak out and run out the doors, you know. In a, in a limited way, and you've understood in the context of everything I said, the new birth, every new birth is basically an incarnation. The incarnation was a joining of God and man. Every new birth, every salvation when people are born again, that new creation, every time that happens on, a, on a, a level, instead of God coming down this way, we're going up that way. Every time, it's, 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 on, it's, it's a sort of incarnation where, where people become joined with God. A man on his knees in his home, broken, weeping, has no answer, no way out. Nothing, nothing to offer God. Cries out to God and God comes into his life. Christ comes into his life and he's joined with Christ. He's made one with Christ. Wow. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glodose yish baha lehemes gezekilite umaha lehebelevisis kisti and brandande. I've raised you up for this time and for this hour to not walk as you were in the past, to not walk as those around you walk, but to walk in the life that I've given you, in the glory of the Spirit, in the power of the anointing. Walk as men of God. Walk as women of God. Walk as those who have received the divine nature and that power will flow out of you as you put a demand on it in Jesus' name. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.